is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Long week, we've been away, but now we're back. FUVFC returning here. It is Friday, February 18th. Keenan Troy joined alongside by Nick Guzman, Maddie B. Monte. Big week in soccer with the return of the Champions League. Had half of the round of 16 play two games on Tuesday, two games on Wednesday. What a thrill both days of soccer were, excusing that Manchester City thrashing. But we had a plethora of games going on. Got an exciting slate lined up for next week. Before we get into all that good stuff, guys, it's Friday. I had a stressful week. I don't know how it was for you. I'm relieved to make it to the weekend. Champions League soccer was the only thing getting me through. And then when it ended on Wednesday, I looked at the assignments due on Thursday and Friday, and I was just like, there's no soccer gods to save me. Nick, how are you, my man? I'm very happy it's Friday. I'm in the same boat as you, Keenan. This week was very tough, but soccer got me through it. Excited to talk about it here with you guys. glad it's getting warmer it's been too cold for too long and you know when it gets warmer more soccer can be played so it's been really exciting and I'm really excited to get into it this week you know we had a couple good games aside from honestly that Manchester City game so excited to talk about it yep and you know what better place to start than to get that Manchester City game out of the way you know, we've just in this quick intro, we referenced that we had good soccer across the board, except for City absolutely dismantling Sporting Lisbon. 5 0 was the final in that. You know, you had four first half goals from City, Mares, Silva twice, and Foden, and then Raheem Sterling getting on the score sheet quickly into the second half. And then City kind of just turned off the turned off the attacking juices and you know, we're happy with a five nil win heading into the second leg at home. You look at these stats, guys, you know, Lisbon, three shots on target, not three shots, excuse me, none on target with 36% possession. City, 15 and six on target, 64% possession, 93% pass accuracy, six corners to Lisbon, zero. It was just, I want to say a masterclass because it truly was when you look at those statistics, but when you saw City get that draw, for the round of 16. It, you knew that Lisbon had a mountain to climb and you knew if they had any hope, they'd have to play a strong first leg. And it just wasn't the case. You know, say what you want about this Lisbon team. They're looking okay right now in Liga Nos. You know, I think they sit third in the table, which is all well and good, but lining up against a city team like this, it becomes the question of how are you going to match up? Are you going to sit in and just try and absorb pressure? 
as we saw, you know, Red Bull Leipzig kind of do against a much more talented Bayern Munich, but they were clinical on the counter. Sporting couldn't get anything going. And, you know, as much as I'd like to say there's hope that they can turn this around, 5-0 deficit to this city team is – it's bigger than a mountain to climb, especially with no away goals coming into the factor. Yes, you know, City does this away from home, but maybe Lisbon could get a way out if they somehow put, you know, five, six passes of their own, but it's not going to happen. And I think, you know, as good as a run this has been for Lisbon through the group stages, now I think we can just wipe our hands and say, City, well done, you're through to the final eight. Yeah, this tie is well and truly over. This this is one of those one of those ties, I feel like City have had a lot over these past couple of years where they've dominated the group stage. They've gotten, they've won their groups. They've gotten a favorable draw in the round of 16. And they've played a team like Sporting Lisbon and just demolished them in the round of 16. And then, you know, the question with City has always been, you know, in the later rounds, it seems like they've always found ways to lose. Last year, we know they always, they made it to the final against Chelsea. And, you know, Pet made that decision to not play a defensive midfielder and it backfired a little bit. And Chelsea would win the whole thing. But, if you're City and you're looking at this Champions League field, because I mean, I think I think at this point your eyes can move past Sporting Lisbon. You did you did what you had to do. You you scored five goals away from home. You know, there's no way goals tiebreaker, but still, there's no way Sporting Lisbon are going to come to Manchester and and turn this tie around. So I think if you're City, you came so close last year. You're playing probably bet you much actually much better in the league this year than you were last year. All around, you're playing better. And you have to like your chances for winning this whole competition. You know, Liverpool look great. Bayern Munich, we'll talk about a little bit later, but they stumbled against Salzburg. I still very much expect them to make it through. Chelsea, of course, the defending champions. There's, you know, PSG looked better. We'll talk about them too in that win against Real Madrid. But if you're City and you look at those teams and you look at, you know, in terms of squad depth, City's right there at the best of them. Even when we you know, head down the stretch here with the FA Cup and you've got Premier League sometimes twice a week, you need to be able to rotate and City can do just that. I mean, the way they line up now, it's not even really playing a, a real striker out there, just the Sterling, Foden, Mares front lines, what started in that game against, against Sporting. And, and you're just as creative as ever. This team is built to win. It's a very well-oiled machine. And if I'm Manchester City, I'm looking that this, this has got to be our year. You know, you don't know how long Pep's going to stay. He's the kind of guy who could move on at some point. This is as good as they've looked in, you know, on, in the Prep Guardiola era, really, in my opinion. And that's saying a lot considering they had that 100-point season. and They've won the league many, many times. But just the depth and everybody stepping up, the good players are playing well. You know, this City team should be considered favorites to win this competition, in my opinion. This was the perfect match for City, if anything. I, going into it, didn't expect a 5-0 as a final score. But I think when you have all of your team finally working together, you know, in perfect uh, synchronicity, it, it really showed on the field and it really cemented them as the favorite. And, you know, it has been impressive to see how they have used all these different pieces compared to in the past with them. But I think overall... There was amazing play. Silva had was one of the best players of the game, in my opinion. I loved watching him throughout it. You know, there there were so many opportunities that some of these players were using, and I don't want to be pessimistic at all with them because I feel like sometimes I do get pessimistic with some of these teams. 
And I, while Lisbon wasn't top of my list for, you know, most difficult teams they could have faced, I think it was definitely important for them to get out, get those five goals to really show the rest of the league, hey, like, we're ready to play these games. We're ready to not fall back and, you know, make too many mistakes. We want to be here. We want to play. And I think that was very important for them going forward. And I think they have, you know, a strong future ahead of them. But, you know, it all depends if they can remain perfect and they can keep that well-oiled machine going. Yeah, and I think to both your points, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. We all know this. Pep, wherever he's been, by be it Bayern, be it Barca, it's just the system gets implemented and whoever gets injected into that system, whether they be on the club when he arrives or whether it's whoever he gets during a transfer window, it's always you're going to play Pep style, and I think that's what we saw in that Lisbon game. And the next point, you know, City's got a tough down the stretch. You know, that title race in England isn't over. Um, with Liverpool having reduced it to nine points with the game in hand, could get it to six, and they meet later down the road. But that win against Lisbon is crucial, especially by such a scoreline that, you know, they're not required by any stretch of the imagination to put out their top side at home because a 5-0, you know, lead going into that second leg is a mountain to climb. And even if you're playing the guys off your bench, it's still going to be that pep system. And I wouldn't be surprised if they play a week or 11, they still put two or three past this Lisbon side. That Tuesday slate was also home to one of the thrillers. I'm not going to say game of the year because I don't think it had enough action for game of the year, but it was definitely a thriller to watch. It was PSG versus Madrid. And, you know, when you watch that game, finishes 1-0 with Mbappe stealing it late. It had to be him. It had to be the Frenchman. That game for me was the perfect exemplar of what Madrid is going to try and do to just keep pushing themselves alive in this, in this tournament, which is, you know, they're going to look to steal chances. They're going to be fine defensively against the ball. Yeah, you can look at that penalty that was given where Mbappe was fouled in the box and ultimately, you know, Courtois comes up big, making the save on Messi. With the exception of that, you know, yeah, you had a couple Mbappe dangerous runs in behind, but defensively, Madrid was very solid. The only issue is you really needed that game to finish nil-nil if you were Real because we all know the firepower that this PSG side has. We saw for, you know, the first time in Europe of the – Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe trio linking up. They looked phenomenal together. Now, there's always that question of chemistry, but they seem to be clicking on all cylinders. And, you know, going into this, going into stoppage time, if you're Madrid, you're just hoping it finishes nil-nil so you can maybe steal a goal in the second leg and just dispose of PSG. And, you know, Nick, you mentioned City always finding a way to lose. That PSG side's right up there with them. Yeah, they made it to the final against Bayern two years ago but even still they couldn't get it done. And then last year, you know, I don't want to say shambolic collapse, but you know what the expectations were on that team, definitely not reaching the final definitely does not bode well for them, but you know, very, I don't want to say stalemate, but it was obviously PSG in control, but they just couldn't crack that back line. And, you know, Courtois stepped up big when he had to. So I'm really looking forward to the second leg that game top to bottom was a thriller. And, you know, it's all the little things in that game, too, that make it so fun to watch. You know, Verratti put on a master class in the midfield. I've praised Courtois, you know, saving that penalty against Messi. wasn't really a good pen, but still, nonetheless, coming up big. And then, of course, Mbappe stepping up in the clutch, you know, literally last minute of gameplay. Scores that on a fantastic run, maybe some suspect defending, but 
when you got a guy of that caliber in your squad, he's important as ever to go and steal that moment. And it really makes me happy that it wasn't messy because I don't like Messi at PSG. And I think Mbappe cements his claim that he should be the centerpiece there. Also saw Aiden Hazard come off the bench for Real. So that's a good sign going into that second leg because we know the quality he can produce going forward. But Nick, talk me through the second leg. How does Real Madrid squeak their way into a final eight against this stacked PSG side? I think it was clear the way they approached that first leg that they, you know, there's no more way goals in the Champions League. It was clear that they were trying to get out of there with a nil-nil draw. And then you win the game at home and then you move on. But that Mbappe goal puts a little bit of a wrench in their plans. I, I understand where Real Madrid were coming from in that first leg um, with the change in the rules and not really attacking. But still, for a club like Real Madrid to just offer so little going forward, you know, with the players they had up front with Benzema Vinicius Jr., who's been incredible this season, and that midfield trio, you know, even though they're aging, Cruz, Casemiro, and Modric, you would like to think that, you know, they can play through the PSG press a little bit and create some more chances on the break, but it was really nothing all day from Real. And they put all their eggs in the nil-nil basket, and then Mbappe, who was far and away the best player on the field for PSG, maybe Mark, you could say Marco Verratti was very good in the midfield keeping it together. But Mbappe gave Danny Carvajal fits in that first half and in that second half until he got subbed off. And then it was all him, you know, making a man miss and putting the ball in the, uh, through Courtois' legs to give PSG the 1-0 lead heading to the second leg. But for PSG, this was really the first time where I thought they looked like how they should. When you take into account all the firepower they have up front and this is – they looked – I know they only scored the one goal, but they looked like they could have scored two or three. You know, Messi missed the penalty. The PSG team looked very good in that game. And I think, you know, the big reason for that is Marco Verratti, who we know has had fitness problems. He's been injured a lot during his career. But when he's healthy in that midfield, he's just so good at keeping the ball. Just such a good player to have in the midfield. And that's the kind of glue you need when you have three attackers like Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar. That's the kind of player that you, you need. So I think as long as Verratti's fit, PSG have a real chase, chance in the second leg. But, you know, Real do as well. You know, it's going to be at the Bernabeu. They're at home. I'm certain they're going to attack some more. And PSG aren't going to be on the front foot just as much. This ties far from over, but that Mbappe goal was huge. Going into the mentality, when you have such a weird, like, rule change, it, it can be difficult, I think, as Real, who to me always has been a very strong defensive team, and it really was an issue for them. I think they had, what, about one shot on goal, I think, during the match, which is never what you want to see from a team like that when you have a guy like Benzema to help you out. And so I think, you know, people talked about the messy miss on the penalty. And to me, that's not new. That's not new. I've seen this all the time, especially in the international stage with him. I don't think that was as big of a deal as people were making it out to be. I think Mbappe scoring that last minute goal is kind of what everybody dreams of as a soccer fan. I personally love the zero zero to last minute score in the game. I think it's way more interesting for me. So I think when you see how well that top unit has worked with PSG, it kind of seemed like a no brainer to me going into this game because as much as I'd like to think Real had potential with aiming for that tie it, it, to me, it really didn't make sense working out. And I know there was a lot of criticism of Real after the game, which was, to me, 
pretty legit. I didn't, I didn't think they played that great of a game. I think they can obviously pick it back up, but from what I saw, PSG looked just to be more commanding out on the field. There was more control of the ball from them. And I think when you have such a, a strong young front, it, it's really difficult to try and make sure you cover every single opportunity and every single creative play that these guys can really throw at you. So. Yeah. Not so much a mountain to climb, but you know, when you look at the skill on that PSG side, the no away goals now really benefits you if you're real, because you know, you don't have to worry about PSG getting one early and then it really becomes a mountain to climb. Can you kind of approach this game, you know, Nick, I think you said it best with a little bit more of an attacking emphasis, but still be really solid in the back. But overall, I mean, that PSG side looked about as best as it has in a while and really played up to their potential. I wouldn't say that they're anywhere close to the level of a city. I wouldn't even say they're close to a level of a Liverpool. And, you know, maybe it's my Liverpool bias getting in the way, but, you know, you look at their 2-0 win against Inter Milan on Wednesday. And yeah, that first half was shaky, you know, Inter stings the bottom of the crossbar, Trent Alexander-Arnold, can he really defend? I don't know because Perisic just had him in his pocket all game long. But then you go into the second half and Firmino gets that header off the Robertson corner and the ball finds Salah in the box and he slots it away because that's what he does. I think it's just another emphasis of the, you know, we talk so highly of this pep team Klopp is doing the same thing at Liverpool, and it's been a battle of those two managers in England for a while. You know, you go back to the 2018 season when Liverpool knocked City out in the quarterfinals. That was a huge game, but looking at this win against Inter Milan, it's just Liverpool stepping up when it needs to. Allison holds another clean sheet. I think he's the best keeper in the world right now. We're definitely up there. I'm not convinced that this Liverpool team can run the table. I think that, you know, in order for them to be as good as a city, they need to be far more clinical. You know, you look at some chances that went begging, you know, you had that Mane header on a free kick in the first half that missed, you know, Klopp starts Harvey Elliott, which, you know, as a young man, not even 20 years of age coming off a knee injury earlier in the season, he looked to show some rust, you know, it was a step up than, you know, the premier league action that he's accustomed to playing in even in the Premier League, he only has a couple first-team starts. So there's definitely some moments when Liverpool, I thought, was were heavy on the ball inside the 18. But the fact of the matter is they got the job done. And it was Firmino and Salah, two of Klopp's, you know, former, you know, pretty much his pinnacle signings when he took over. Firmino coming in first and then Salah coming in later. And then, you know, Mane's always in the mix. Jota is an incredible addition, you know, when he starts or if he comes off the bench, he provides so much depth going forward for this Liverpool team. But that win against Inter, yeah, there were questions in the back, definitely what, how Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, or Robertson, they love to get forward, but there are definitely times at which Inter looked dangerous off the counter. But 2-0 win for Liverpool going back to Anfield. You'd like to think that their ticket is almost secured, but you never know in the Champions League 2-0 is definitely not a friendly scoreline in the sense of, it's, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered in terms of them getting into the next round. But they definitely have one foot, if not a foot and a half, into the door of the quarterfinals. Yeah, and it was never going to be easy to go to the San Siro and play Inter Milan, who, you know, right now they sit second in Serie A, but they're, they have a game in hand, and they're only down by a point to, to AC Milan. And 
these are the kind of games where if you're a good team and you're serious about winning the competition and you don't necessarily play well, I don't, I wasn't that impressed with Liverpool. I think, you know, they didn't have a lot really going forward and you still are able to bag a 2-0 victory on the road against a very good Inter Milan side who have their sights set on a Serie A title. That's big. And when you can win, it's not necessarily when you dominate when you, that's important. It's more, well, that's important, but when, uh, when you're kind of just going through the motions a little bit and you're not playing free flowing football necessarily, you can still grind out that two nil result. That's what's huge. And I agree with you, Keenan, that say they've one and a half feet through the, through the door to the quarterfinals. I'd be very shocked if, if Inter can come back from this, especially at Anfield, but we've seen crazy things happen, but I would say Liverpool are firmly in the quarterfinals, at least in my opinion. And in terms of the bigger picture with the competition, I'd have them, you know, firmly as second or third favorites maybe behind City or Bayern, just because of how this team can play on any given day. You know, the attacking talent, we know all about, you know, the Liverpool squad has been the same squad for years now. But I think a Liverpool side that's really playing well, not really necessarily like, like they did in that first leg, a Liverpool side, a Liverpool side playing well, you know, in full motion, is a side that I don't think any team in the Champions League necessarily wants to play. I think it's fair to say they can na- knock anybody out on any, any given day, but it's just really a matter of which Liverpool team shows up. Great concerns you brought up, Keenan, about some of the defensive players with playing too far up. I think that's a major issue for them, and I feel like that would be more of a concern going forward. I think the center of the defensive line has been very impressive though. And I think that really shined last game. I think that's really what kept Inter at that zero score. I, I think going forward, they are a fairly decent team. And I think, you know, this was a good win for them. You know, like you said, Nick, it really just depends which team shows up on which day. I think if we see this team, they're definitely would make a decent run. I feel like they are decent in the quarters, but I think, they are nowhere near a city level and I don't think they're anywhere near a Bayern level, but I think for what they are, they have performed really well. And I think this game was a really good match for them overall. I thought their offense was good. I feel like there were some questionable shots that I just wasn't a fan of that were just off target. I feel like it's every game, but for the most part, I thought they were pretty solid. I would agree that they're like in about the second or third favorite position. Um, but I definitely don't want to see them go out too quick. I genuinely liked watching the game. I thought it was pretty pleasant. So interesting to see what Liverpool can do going forward. But I think they have this one locked. Yeah, and, you know, real quickly before we get to that Bayern versus Salzburg match, which almost had the potential of being a steal for Salzburg, I think the biggest takeaway from this Liverpool side is that Konate proved that he's that second center back for the long run with Virgil van Dijk, you know, credit to Joel Matip. He does an incredible job. I think he's one of the most underrated center backs in football, but you know, with his age getting up there, he's into his thirties and, you know, Konate just provides that pace that's required to play alongside someone like Virgil van Dijk. I think that's a good sign going forward. And, you know, Maddie, we talked about how, you know, Alexander Arnold and Robertson have always been, liked within this Liverpool side and essential to this Liverpool side because the quality they provide into the box running down those flanks. But with Kanate stepping up, you know, the pace that he has, you can realistically see him maybe shift, you know, in a game where they need to, you know, 
tighten it down on the back, say it's, you know, in a way in the quarterfinal second leg and they're up one nil. I could realistically see him being shoved out wide and, you know, Mata playing alongside Van Dyke in the center of the pitch. You know, it's not his natural position, but he certainly provides that defensive cover alongside his pace that can help offset, you know, a substitution of Alexander Arnold where the defensive quality improves, but you don't lose all of, you know, you lose the balls that he plays into the box for sure, but you don't lose, you know, quality in terms of building out of the back. Last match this week, we are yet to cover was the one, one draw between Salzburg and Bayern. And, you know, you saw Salzburg come out and you thought maybe this was going to be a game that they just roll over and look to play to a, a nil, nil draw, but they were high pressing the living, you know, what out of this Bayern Munich side, especially, you know, they win the ball in midfield and then they're away on the counter and they have the pace to go forward. They steal one in the 21st minute. It was a long time coming. You know, they had a couple looks to get in on goal beforehand and then they do, but I think the fault of Salzburg is they go up one nothing, and then they get comfortable playing behind the ball. And, you know, if you watch the post-match, you know, CBS Sports breakdown, Thierry Henry's talking about it. And it's, you know, it's true when you play a team like PSG or when you play a team like Bayern, which is when they have the quality that they do in their side and you sit behind the ball, a chance is going to fall to someone because of the ability that they have. And Kingsley Coleman, you know, rescues – rescues a draw for the Bayern side in the 90th minute. And if you're Salzburg, that hurts just as bad as the Real Madrid loss hurts because having a one goal advantage going into a second leg against Bayern Munich, where you have seen that you're clinical on the counter and you can defend well behind the ball, that chance and that goal by for Koeman, I don't want to say it erases hope, but it definitely hurts the hopes of Salzburg to knock out this Titan and move on to the round of eight solely because you know, you did everything so right, but the quality within that Bayern side, you know they're going to eventually find one. So if I'm Salzburg going into that next match, you got to score first again because if you leave chances late, odds are it's going to fall in Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund. Uh, they're enjoying the Europa League, speaking of Dortmund. 4-2 loss yesterday to Rangers. But Bayern will find a chance and will make no mistake about scoring a clinical goal late. And if you're Salzburg – Great through and through, but it just has to be a complete 90-minute performance in that second leg. And it hurts even more for Salzburg because if you if you go to Munich up one nothing, you know you can start sitting back like you were and hit him on the counter, and you know you've got the one goal lead to protect. But now when you go there all even, it's really it's a it's a blank slate. You've got no advantage, and you know who's really going to bet against Bayern Munich in a one-off game at home? You know, not many people would, and. For Salzburg, I was impressed really just with the way they press, like you mentioned, Keenan. You know, maybe my American, this is my American bias speaking, but I really loved watching Brendan Harrison play in that game. You know, he created a couple of chances. He got an assist that maybe wasn't intentional. I'll, I'll say it was intentional, but it probably wasn't. But somehow um, he still can't he got, start in our, somehow he can't start in the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, so no, I'd rather have Jordan is, is better than him, or Jordan Morris. No, I'd rather have Jordan Morris coming off of two ACL shirt surgeries on the left, definitely. But <laughs> I think you can see why a team like Leeds wants Brendan Aronson, because he just runs. He just runs and runs and runs and runs. And for a team like Leeds that presses like they do and – it's exactly the kind of player that they want. And you can see why he's valued so highly by them and other teams in Europe. If you want a player who's an attacking player just with an engine 
and he showed in this game he has creative qualities as well. I thought he played a very strong game against a very strong opponent. And, you know, for Bayern, this was looking like a disappointing result until, until Kingsley Coleman comes up clutch right at the end. But if you're looking, you know, at the second leg, I think Salzburg will sit back to start, and I think that's going to be a bit of a mistake. I think if they've got to try and hit him like they did in this first leg where they came out firing and then settled into the game. Because I think if you, if you let Byron come at you for 90 minutes, it's not going to end well. You've got to try and hit him, you know, before they can get set and maybe sneak a goal quickly on the counter and then defend that. But, you know, Byron Munich at home, the tie's all even, no away goals. You know, it'd be, it'd be probably a silly bet to bet against Byron. But if Salzburg were to get a goal in the first 15 minutes and they could sit back and protect that, you know, that's the only real way I could see them coming out on top in this tie, although I think they should be very proud overall of that performance in the first leg, just because of the energy levels they showed, the pressing was very impressive. And I think it's better when a team approaches, you know, a giant like Bayern like that, you know, sure, they sat back for a while, but, you know, there was attacking impetus. They had six shots in target, 11 shots in total, you know, even with the 28% possession, they showed, you know, they can play on the break and, you know, the tie is definitely not over, even though Bayern at this point will be will be greatly favored. It is something in a way to be proud of when you go in face a team like Bayern. It's it's really interesting because Salzburg, I did not anticipate to really put up any numbers at all going into this. But, you know, I think you're right. Pressing first, getting that first goal is most important. And I think that is what they should replicate again because – in the long run, Byron is a marathon team to me. They play the long game and that is their thing. You know, when you have the ability to get goals quickly, when you have the speed, you got to use it fast. You got to strike early. The more difficult you can make it for Byron to get those goals back, the better you're going to be in the long run. You don't want that last minute goal again. You don't want that to happen. And I think that is very much what could happen again if they sit back and they just let the other if they let Byron come on over them and you know when you deal with that you know I feel like this game was a big learning experience for them they learned they cannot sit they cannot wait they can't get sloppy in the second half and I think that is most important they have learned from this mistake playing Byron and so hopefully going forward that can change but I think for them it is in a way something to be proud of even with this kind of disappointing result for them. Yeah, and it's crazy, you know, what a week this was for the Champions League. And we're not even – we are halfway through, but I would say we're not even halfway through when it comes to ridiculous, you know, ties coming up because next week's slate is absolutely loaded, in my opinion, and just straight anomalies in terms of what to expect. The only one that you can maybe predict is Ajax versus Benfica, just because of how dominant Ajax was in the group stage. But even then, you know, how are they going to match up? Who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if Ajax takes it straight to Benfica. You know, once again, proving that the Portuguese league is the weakest of the big leagues in Europe. But outside of that Ajax-Benfica game, you got a slipping Chelsea versus Lille. You've got a questionable Juventus versus a Villarreal team that looked pretty, pretty solid in the group. And then you've got another anomaly in terms of Man United versus Atletico. Which side for both teams is going to show up? Guys, in this you know last couple minutes we have here together, any of these games we have circled, for me personally, it's going to be that 
you know, I want to say it's that Man U versus Atletico game just because in terms of big names in both for both teams, both sides are just chock full of talent. And, you know, it might be easy to write off these teams as non-favorites, but if they get it rolling, which I think both have the capabilities to do, you know, with the exception of maybe United hasn't really shown it, but you'd think with the quality that they have, they could definitely, you know, put together some strong performances in Europe and make a run at this thing. I really like that Villarreal versus Juventus game. And that's solely because you saw Villarreal play exceptionally well in the group and Juventus, you know, obviously the old lady of Italian soccer, who knows what that Juventus team is going to bring into that tie. And it's, I, I anticipate that's going to be as much as a dogfight as any other match coming up in next week's slate. But Nick, do you got anything, anyone that you're looking at? I know you're a Chelsea boy, so maybe that Leo game is one that you're going to be tuned into especially, but any of those games that you really look at and you think this could just come down to the wire in both legs? The one that I can see exactly what's going to happen is that Atletico Man United game or, or the, the Atletico Man United tie. I think it's going to be boring. I think it's going to be slow. It's going to be low scoring. And then right at the end, Ronaldo's going to nick a goal in the second leg because he always kills Atletico and he's going to find a way. And United will go to the quarterfinals. That's my prediction. But I'm very much looking forward to that game just because of the history between Ronaldo and Atletico. And it, especially the fact, like you mentioned, Keenan, both those teams, you know, at some points this year, they've been incredible. And, you know, recently for Atletico and for United, really the last past three months has just been underwhelming. And it's, it's a really interesting question about which of those teams, which version of those teams are going to show up. If we get, you know, a great Atletico showing up in a, a terrible Man United, it could, you know, easily tilt in Atletico's favor or vice versa. But if both those teams, you know, play to their potential, I think it could be a very exciting tie. The other one I'm looking forward to, like you said, Keenan, I'm a Chelsea fan. So Chelsea versus Lille. Lille, we know they won League One last year, but struggled this year. They're now just sitting in mid-table. Chelsea just won the Club World Cup. We don't really know how much that means. People value it in different ways. It's a trophy. A trophy is a trophy, I guess. But, you know, in terms of the league and how they've played, and even the Champions League kind of choking away that first-place position towards the end of the group stage to Juventus, I'd expect Chelsea to be pretty comfortable in this in this in this tie, but you know, Lille have good attacking talent with Jonathan David and you know Tim Weah. But I think I'd definitely take Chelsea in that game. But the game I'm really looking at it's Atletico Man United, just because the storylines with Cristiano Ronaldo, his history with Atletico Madrid, and the fact that we could see. We, I could totally picture a Man United meltdown if they get humiliated against Atletico. Or, you know, we could see an Atletico meltdown and they get humiliated. It really could go either way just because these teams are so inconsistent that it's, it's, it'll be fascinating to see which versions of these teams shows up in the round of 16. I think that's my game to watch. I feel like Man U, with all the drama that they have endured over the, endured over the past few months, it's just been hard to watch them. And I think going into this, with Atletico also, you know, suffering some bad defeats recently. I think that is the game for me to watch because I think these teams just are going to put it all out on the line for this one. I think when both teams have been fairly inconsistent, I think it's worth watching because it really is anybody's game. Anybody can win it and they can become the hero for the game. I think 
Ronaldo being the huge storyline with it, I think that's also very fun to watch this against Atletico. So I think that's going to be very interesting to watch. You know, I have hated, like, predicting games. I have not been good at it this entire time, so I'm not even going to bother. But I think this could be interesting. I think that's the game that I'm going to watch. I'll probably tune into the other ones, but this seems like the one that's most interesting for me. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're watching that United Atletico game, Nick, you hit the nail right on the head. In my opinion of this game is one team is not going to play their best football. It's not going to be, you know, a tie in which we see both teams, you know, absolutely clicking and, you know, creating chances on goal. It's definitely going to be one team shows up and one team doesn't. From a Liverpool perspective, you hope that it's United who refuses to show up, as they so often have done in the post-Sir Alex Ferguson era. But you never know. You never want to count out Ronaldo, especially on a Champions League night. You know, Premier League Twitter was a buzz because he scored a pretty okay goal for United against Hove Albion in the midweek, saying, you know, it's not a Champions League night unless Ronaldo scores in whatever league it may be. I personally think that if they're going to go far, he's got to return to his form that we saw at Juve, to the form more specifically we saw at Madrid for all those years. And, you know, he loves to torture his old inner city rivals. And I'm I'm excited to see what United team decides to show up because I will say unbiasedly when it is the good United side that, you know, you're expecting, it's some of the best football to watch just with their quality going forward. That Chelsea-Leo game, you know, Chelsea, you'd like to think, but obviously slipping up, losing top spot to Juve definitely hurts their chances. And that Leo side is chock full of young talent. So you could maybe expect a Ajax run from, you know, 2019 out of that side where the young guns just step up and they bulldoze Chelsea out of the way. That Benfica-Ajax game, I'm going to write it off and say that Ajax is just going to come out and absolutely thwart them. And then Villarreal-Juve, I think that's a coin flip, at least for the first leg. Um, and I do expect Juve to take it, but that's a conversation for a later time after we watch leg one next week. That's going to do it this week. Apologize again for getting it out so late, but, you know, with Champions League happening in the middle of the week and Keenan Troy suffering through midterms somehow in the fourth week of school, it is what it is. Next week we've got all four games to look forward to, and also we're going to preview the MLS because that comes back in a week and one day from today. NYCFC, obviously for us in New York, starting their title defense, which will be super fun to you know not only cover on this podcast but watch alongside. And also for my Chicago Fire, maybe a glimmer of hope as a veteran comes to that side. And no, it's not Bastian Schweinsteiger, 15 years past his prime. It's Jordan Shakiri. They also have Gabriel Slovenia, who I actually did keeper training with once in the day, but he's third string on the U.S. men's national team, a real bright spot for that squad. So next week you can expect, you know, a little MLS rundown, recapping those Champions League games. And whatever the Premier League and domestic leagues have to throw at us, we'll be definitely be around to cover it. But for Nick Guzman, Maddie B. Monte, I'm Keenan Troy saying, it's Friday, baby. Well, I guess you might be listening to this on Saturday. So it's the weekend, and it's a long weekend. So get out there, watch some soccer, have some fun, enjoy the beautiful game with the ones you love. Take care.